witches knocking on my front door. God knows I'm tired of being broken for. My prayers answered, there's so much in store. Wanna stack cash from ceiling to floor. Money, money, you're welcome here, my friend. Money, money, we'll have a perfect plan. Money, money, I welcome you, my friend. Money, money, stick with me to the end. Money, the Talking Cash Podcast with your host. Ben Blanchard. Hello and welcome to the Talking Cash podcast. I am your host, Ben Blanchard. Last week, I premiered my first episode of the podcast with guest Joe Prano, and I have to say the response has been pretty good from people that listen to it. There was a little weird thing with the audio, so I'm going to work on figuring that out so it's a better listening experience for everyone who is tuning in. I'm very excited about this week's guest, a good friend of mine. He goes by the name Jonesy. His full name is Chris Jones. He is a comedian from New York who moved out to L.A. recently, and he does a lot of voiceover stuff. He does stand-up, and a really cool story that you'll hear when you listen to the episode is he was uh, he used to work for a debt collection agency back in college, and so he's got some really interesting stories about the tactics they would use and how they kind of scam some people into giving them some money uh, that were owed through loans and credit card bills and everything that people go into serious debt with in life. Um, so I'm very excited for you guys to hear his interview. He actually also said that this was his favorite podcast that he ever participated in, so that was really nice for him to say and for me to hear. A few things up top with my life. You can come check me out at the Westside Comedy Theater Wednesday on February 11th. Um, I'll be doing some stand-up there. And then also... Uh, if you live in Los Angeles, please come check out the Commons Alehouse Comedy Show every Tuesday night at 8.30 in Santa Monica at the Commons Alehouse. Uh, we do stand up there for about an hour, hour and a half. A lot of great guests performing that have been on Conan O'Brien's show, that have been on Late Night. Uh, really good credentials. And then we also have, um, which I'll probably be plugging closer to the start date um, of the Manor Show, which will be on a Saturday, February 27th. And for those that you've been to it's an amazing show. It's a great outdoor house party show. Uh, we've had amazing comedians with DJs and music and also some great beverages and dancing and all that good stuff that we like to do as hedonistic adults. So without further ado, I would like to start the second episode of the Talking Cash podcast with my guest and friend, Chris Jones, a.k.a. Jonesy. Recording? We're doing it. All right, cool. We're We've doing been doing it. it the whole time. Stuff in there. You know, just let it roll. Amazing, yeah. Thank you for having me. I know we had a great discussion about uh, this idea at the, at the West Side. We did. Uh, uh, was, was, it, was this post-show? It was post-show. Um, it was post-my show, and I think you were there hanging out for the mic or something. I just remember um, just being so excited about your idea because I hadn't heard it before. And, and, well, and we always get pretty excited when we see each other. Yes, we do. Ben, we always get excited when we see each other. We saw each other at that uh, what is it, that bar in the, near the promenade. The Commons Ale House. Yeah, Commons Ale House, which yeah. I loved. That was great. That's, they, my, that's my local haunt. Board games and popcorn they give you, right? Yeah, that's and good. fine ales from all over and the country. Fine ales, yes. Loved what they had on tap. I had a field day. 
That's great. I love craft beer, so that place like really, uh, I really took to that joint. Yeah, man. I mean, I just I've had this idea for a while and just kind of was lazy about doing it, but I'm finally uh, getting to getting around to having some guests and putting some words into the mic. So, well, you have the equipment, you have the space, you have the yeah. concept. I suppose I should introduce myself then. I'll introduce you. Oh, all right, cool. Chris Jones, a.k.a. Jonesy, stand-up comic from uh, New York City, recently coming out to Los Angeles to pursue the same path and dream, and, and he's, uh, he's a killer, so say hello. Hello. Thanks for having me, Ben. Uh, yeah. Ben, also a killer yourself, I gotta <laughs> say. Uh, first time I saw Ben perform was on a rooftop, Slade. Slade. Heavy slaying was going on. Yeah. You had a great set. Dragon slaying. He's uh, like, I want to be this guy's friend. This guy's funny, smart. Like, <laughs> <laughs> was that the first time that we met? Yeah, that was the first time we met. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like... Was yeah, it was because you were you were just you were just in town, just in L.A., right? Yeah, I had just arrived, and I knew Nick from last time I was here, and did his rooftop show, and so he put me on this one. Uh, we we never met in New England, although no. I've driven through your state uh, on my way to Montreal a few times. The Green Mountain State. The Green Mountain State. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I pulled over up there a few times. So you're from New England as well? Yeah, originally from Massachusetts. Uh, yeah, Haverhill, Mass. It's a small city on the New Hampshire border. I don't know, half hour north of Boston. Yeah. Which is funny because you don't sound, you sound like you're from New York, which is probably why yeah. when you've lived there for so long, sure, it, sure, the accent has rubbed off on you. Yeah, I took to the, I sort of dropped the Boston accent, which I had very thick, very thick all my life, really annoyingly thick. There's old stand-up clips of it's, me. It's a it's tough it's accent to listen awful. to. Awful, man. <laughs> I sound. You know, it's, I sound awful. I sound very uneducated is the best way to describe right. it. I sound so uneducated. And, uh, yeah, so being in New York for 10 years, I sort of uh, just adopted this whole thing. I did a lot of voiceover work in, 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 in New York City, and they, they want you to be what's called coast neutral. So I had to get rid of that Boston accent, like, as quickly as possible so to that's work. So is that, like, just newscaster speak? Anything. Uh, you know, mostly commercial voiceover is what I've, I've done mostly, and they really want you to be... A, there are exceptions. You know, they'll do a lot of radio spots that are only going to air in Boston. They may specifically ask for a Boston accent, you know, like a lot of Duncan's ads or this kind of thing. And I would get those auditions, and I worked a lot that way. But for the most part, most uh, commercial VO, they want to be want you to be what's called coast neutral. The funny part about that is the first commercial I ever booked was for Arby's. I was so nervous that the, the Boston accent started <laughs> to come out. And, and, and I kept saying, I kept slipping into Arby's. And, and, and I was really trying not to, but I was so nervous. Uh, not every time, but there was a few times where the the, the the sound or the director would you know click and like boop. Uh, yeah, Jonesy, you did. Um, you you said Abby's again. Can we uh, can we can we do that again? <laughs> just uh, just try not to say Abby's. <laughs> just try, you know, and they were getting a little frustrated. But you booked the gig. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I booked yeah. the gig. Yeah, yeah, we did that. That was the first gig. Uh, it was just a coincidence. So what town from in Massachusetts? What was uh, that? It's, it's called Haverhill. I don't know Haverhill. Yeah, hardly anyone knows Haverhill. It's a so population. Under ten thousand? No, I'm believe. I believe we're pushing twenty thousand. Yeah, we're okay. I think. I think we're about twenty between. I. I'm guessing between twenty and forty thousand. I don't know what it is. It's an. It's okay size. What was your? What's your town's population? It's about sixty to sixty-five thousand. Sixty-five thousand. Burlington, Vermont. Burlington. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've been up to Burlington before. I did a show. What did I do? They had the comedy connection up there. Did they have it? There for something. There's a little a bit show. of a comedy scene that's yeah. kind of reviving, but it's super small. It's probably yeah. about twenty comics, and then. When they get some heat in Burlington, they move to New York, so right, or Boston. Right. Is Bob Marley from Vermont or Maine? He's a Maine guy. He's a Maine guy. And it's yeah, so funny because I had someone. I met this guy playing basketball the other day who was traveling. He's a kid, like twenty-one years old, traveling from the East Coast, and he's from Maine. He's like, "Oh, you know Bob Marley?" And I was like, "Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, like the regional famous comedian." He is so yeah. funny. I mean, how do you get famous in Maine? Uh, he he did it apparently. So Haverhill, Massachusetts. Can you tell me a little bit about like uh, the local economy there and kind of like what it was like to grow up there is what kind of industry is there uh, well
Well, uh, Haverhill at one time uh, was the shoe capital of the country. If you uh, owned shoes, you know, in the 18th century to early 19th century in America, chances are they were made in, in Haverhill. We had at one time, I don't know, so many shoe factories everywhere. The, the, the town was just all shoe factories. That's what we did. Haverhill Shoe was a known major, major company, and, and it was all shoe factories, mostly Italian immigrants who they would get over here to make the shoes. My relatives were worked in shoe factories, um, you know, back to the 1800s. My Italian relatives, I mean, why, who are you going to have come make shoes? Obviously Italians. We made, uh, they made shoes. By the time I was born, uh, there was only one shoe factory left out of, I don't know, God, I'm going to get this wrong, but I'm going to guess over 20 shoe factories, uh, between 20 and 30 shoe factories, it was down to one. Sort of like the car industry in Detroit, you know, these things happen. As we ship out <laughs> yeah, the labor. Cheaper labor. Goes That's right. Out. So there's one. Uh, the fallout from that was Haverhill sort of became a very low-income, uh, what I like to call white trashy sort of town. And that's kind of where I grew up. So we were low income. Post-industrial kind of. That's right. Uh, Post-industrial. We were low income. Do you want me to get into my family or just yeah, yeah. do the town thing? Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll get into that. I mean, okay. it's like um, in terms of Haverhill, like everyone is kind of the same on the same level or is there a little bit of wealth or just all extreme poverty or? I wouldn't say no, no extreme. Well, some extreme. I would say just low class in general. Across the river is our sister city called Bradford. And Bradford in general is a little more to do. And we always sort of joke about, you know, the people in Bradford right. are like, oh, they think there's so much. They yeah. have a they have a, a beautiful golf course. They have a ski resort. Yeah, they have a, they just sort of have it going on over <laughs> over yeah. over in Bradford. Yeah. I don't Half know how a mile away. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's literally across a bridge. It Seems to always happen. Yeah, right? is that right? <laughs> like these crazy towns. It's like sure, sure. It separates a, you know the train tracks or a bridge or yeah. a lake or something. That's it's right. Just, yeah, you the hear about economic the, disparity. Right, it's you just, hear about across the tracks. Right, yeah. you hear that all the time, and you're like, how could that be? How, how could the line be? Just one train exits to this side That's and doesn't right. exit to the other side? Right. So uh, Bradford across the water, I would say, in general, is a little more um, wealthier. There's a couple beautiful colleges over there, and, uh, you know, the grass seems to be a little greener. And uh, So, yeah, but my, my town, you know, working class, low-income, working class sort of river town, uh, you know, I don't know, like Pittsburgh or something. So your folks, you mentioned your folks, and love to hear what they did when you were growing up, supporting you and, and the family and all that stuff. My mother was a single parent. Uh, Dad out of the picture. Yeah, my biological father out of the picture very early. My mother, uh, she worked uh, a few part-time jobs to put everything together for me and sort of pass me off to relatives. And Only I, child? Uh, yeah, at, only child at that time. I yeah. had, later, in, I had a, a brother, uh, but at that time, just an only child. She, she did a combination of work at a grocery store and work at the phone company. The grocery store gig was the first job she had ever had. She was she worked there in high school at this grocery store in our neighborhood. Did she go back to it? or was She had gone back to okay. it. And not only did she go back to it, she went back like part-time, I believe, at that time because she had another gig. She stayed there. She still works there to this day. There's a booth there where you can buy scratch tickets and cash checks yeah, and, yeah. and it's return like things. Yeah, she works in that part full-time. She's worked at this place. She's she's 60. She's worked at this place since high school. Wow. Same Grocery store. That's insane. That's Isn't like that crazy? Uh, my dad. Same thing. He works. Yeah. He works for the local electric company, and he was the meter guy. He read the meters. Reads the meters. Eighteen years old. He's he's fifty four now. Oh my! Same God. job. Almost forty years at this place. I, that's that's something that will that's never happen in our generation. 
I don't think it will. You don't even Unless hear it's this. <laughs> Unless it's comedy. Unless it's comedy. Doing comedy report. Yeah. <laughs> what are you? Ah, oh, so sad. <laughs> <laughs> it is sad, right? Yeah, you don't hear this anymore, right? It's like that in sports now. Remember, well, he used to play for one team. Guy plays for one team for his whole life. Now it's just like you know, you got to go where the money is. Right. And Very respectable. Like I just couldn't. I couldn't imagine. I have trouble going to the same place for two years, and or, or, you know, I'm like, I need to change after two years. But I, I get the same way. You think maybe with the internet, you sort of, people sort of see like, hey. I got options I wasn't aware of. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I, think, I think it's completely generational because yeah. our parents' generation is probably the last one that, that will – and for them, it was commonplace. But I think you know the idea of job security is yeah. kind of floated out the window sure. and the idea that we have more options to – Yeah, the options. So it first starts out in my town. You get there. All you have is a shoe factory. You don't have any other option. Maybe to sell papers on the corner. I don't know. But shoe right. factory, that's your choice. My mother's generation, few more options, but in the town – yeah, grocery store. Now I leave. You know, I work uh, jobs in other towns, and then I leave the the state entirely, and then I leave that state. The options. Still a lot I'm, of people. Still a lot of townies, though. It seems like kind of like a towny place. Pretty towny, yeah. Where they stay, where people stay, and don't. Yeah, people do tend to stay. I've always like wondered about that. If that's like a fear thing, or if it's just complete comfort, just ambivalence to even realizing that there is going to be a different life outside of your town that you grew up in. I know. I mean, it's hard to believe that they can't realize that it's possible now that we see what, you know, the menu so huge now. I, I think it probably is a fear, right? The fear of, we all have the fear of, uh, well, to some level, the fear of the severe change. And that's a, you know, I didn't, I didn't feel at the time that moving to New York City was a severe change just because I was a four hour bus ride away. Coming here, a little more fearful. And I think that like people, like for us to, People who have transplanted in different major cities, we look back on people that stay in the same town and we don't understand it, whereas they yeah. probably don't understand why we would do that. I guess it's just a perspective thing. I wish I didn't look down on them the way that I do. I wish it's natural. I can't help it. <laughs> it's, it's just <laughs> I wish natural. I was nicer than that. I don't know if it's looking down, but there are some people. If you go back to your hometown and you see that they don't really evolve, that's when you feel like that's when I feel bad, or when I look down yeah. and someone is just like, "Come on, man!" Right. You know, like you're still saying the same shit you did 15 years ago. So my mom was a single parent for a little while, and then when I'm about five years old, she uh, guy comes over to do her plumbing. No way! Your stepdad was the plumber. He was the plumber. Oh my god! Comes over to do the plumbing. That's the old a, cliche. That's, that's the old cliche. That's porn right. Movie. The ever. old porn. <laughs> Totally. Oh my God. Yeah. So Have she you ever addressed that with her? No, I never. You realized that? No, I never. I never said a thing about it. You met John was the. Was the yeah. or He's in the kitchen bending over. Yeah. Like this is how it's happening. <laughs> I mean, it's really, come on, man. Right? Oh, my God. It's unbelievable. So he comes over to do the plumbing, and then she meets, and by the time I'm like seven, they get, they're get they married. And he adopts me later, but uh, at the time, yeah, so it's just me. When I'm set, and then they have my brother. Now, he's a, his uh, work situation was interesting, I think, sad. Okay, great plumber. This is your stepdad? Yeah. Okay. Great plumber. Or your real dad? Real hardworking yeah. Protestant, the stepdad. Very into work. Very into. He worked for a guy. He did. This guy was an older guy. This guy was at the end of his career with the plumbing, but he had his boss. But he had the clients. He had the clients. He had the network. So my father sort of was a slave. My stepfather was sort of a slave for this guy. He got paid pretty shitty to do pretty much everything for this guy. You know. Yeah, because the guy is old. He could, it's not working. That's anymore. right. He had a son that worked, but the son was the son was the typical son of the boss, always not coming in, lazy as shit. Uh, these are two Italian guys. So my stepdad's working for them and getting paid 
pretty poorly. Had he had the sort of wherewithal to take the like the plumber, what is it? There was some sort. Oh, get into the plumbers' union or something oh, like yeah. this. He could have made Good money. Yeah, he could have made twice as much as that he made with this guy. Probably working he, less too. Working fewer hours. Had he, of course, started his own business, plumbing business, he could have done that as and, and, and done better as well. But he just doesn't have the sort that sort of skill thing. The, the business acumen. The business acumen. Yeah. Nor I believe he failed the the union. Uh, entry th- stuff. Oh. I think he tried to get in, but was wasn't able to pass these things. I don't know if there are written tests or whatever. He's not much of a written test kind of guy. Yeah. He's very good at the plumbing. Doesn't have that kind of acumen, as you say. And so, just sort of worked for this guy for like twenty years. Just built this guy like a house on a lake. Like did. I mean, he was the labor. And this guy paid like when I think about it, I, I get you know I loved his boss. I did. I, I, you know we would go to their house and they treated me well. But when I think about what really was going on, it, it you know it made it makes me mad. And now you know uh, my stepfather's disabled. He hurt himself. Um, he did attempt at the end when that guy retired. He took on some of his clients and tried to do his own business thing. But then he got hurt, and so then he's been on disability for a while and he doesn't he doesn't plumb anymore. But that was his situation between <clears throat> between my mom and dad. Between the two of them working full time, they were making. 30000 35000 a year tops. Together? Together. Wow. Yeah, so working that's, full time. Yeah, that's like poverty This line. is when I'm in high school probably. Uh, together, primarily, yeah, around, around that. I remember my first full-time job out of high school. One of those years I made 40000 and it was more than the both of them put together. I rem- and I remember like being like, holy shit, I'm 19, and I made, just made $40,000 this year, and they're still doing together under... Under forty. Did, was that ever a, a topic of conversation when you were growing up, or was it pretty? I tried to hide that from them. I know, but I mean, like before you got your uh, job, like them yeah. not making a lot of money, was it an issue for the family? The only issue was I wasn't like. Did you know when you were a kid, you were like shit? I'm poor because it's hard to realize yeah, that when you're sure. younger. Like, I, yeah, I agree. It is harder. I didn't say no. I'm poor. I just said I just was very aware that they. Or so they said they could not afford to give me opportunities and things that my f- some of my friends had. New pair of shoes or something. Or Nintendo PlayStation comes out. Yeah. I mean, I they, they there's no way they could afford this. There was just no – it was so out of that realm of possibility. And I remember having to go to friends' houses to play. Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. And I just remember in, in Mario Brothers. That stuff blew my mind. I wanted it so bad. I begged <laughs> for this game system. I would – I mean, there wasn't a day that had gone by that I didn't was like, please. I'm just like, no, we can't do it. I remember having wanting a nice bike. I wanted a mongoose, right? A BMX or bike. A BMX bike or yeah. a Diamondback or something. Friends had these dinos and GTs, and they had these. Yeah. Nice, some of some of my friends had these nice things, and I remember wanting. And my stepdad was just like, no, you want that? You're gonna have to. You know, we can't afford that. I had. He's like, I, I got you a bike. I mean, just, you know, you know, yeah. you know that bike. Yeah, it's like a huffy. It's like <laughs> a, it. he's got. I got like the fifty dollar bike. Get a paper route or you something. Got the, the Walmart yeah. bike. I got the Walmart bike. Though there was no bike. Walmart. I think yeah. it, I had the Kmart bike. <laughs> yeah. him. And uh, he's like, you know, you want that? You have to. You're gonna have to get it yourself and work for it. So I ended up getting a paper route and saving up. That was the first job. Uh, that was the first job. Yeah, first job was the was the paper route. Talking thirteen, twelve. Yeah, I'm about 13 years old. I save up, I don't know, a year and a half or something. I save up, th- I think the price was 300 and, th- 300 and some odd dollars I'd saved up. This might have even taken me two years. <laughs> I remember it being a long time because I kept spending some of, a lot of my money well, on baseball cards. You got, the, you got yeah. the money, the bike's out of date now. Yeah, right. Like, exactly. <laughs> 
I remember saving up myself, getting a, getting that job for the sole purpose of buying a bike and then uh, saving up over three hundred dollars and going down there and getting it. Good feeling though, right? It was amazing. Yeah, it was so amazing, and I loved that bike, and I treated that bike so well because I had bought it myself, and within six months, stolen. Uh, the bike I, was stolen. I, I had a uh, I had a dyno stolen. Oh, you had myself. a dyno. Yeah, uh, I had one stolen. Great bikes, too. right? Was it chrome? It was green. It, it was, was green? green and uh, with chrome handlebars. Had like the pegs. Yeah. For no reason, I thought the, I was going to be a freestyle. The freestyle know. movement, yeah, that was. Uh, it's yeah, like, yeah. This is, what am I doing? I'm trying to do tail right. whips on the ground. I had, I, I totally went the other way with that because I saw that stuff and I'm like, I can't do this stuff. So I bought a racing bike, like a, a nice light. Uh, it was yeah. a mongoose expert, I remember, and and I would just race. We had trails in in my hometown, and we had woods and stuff. So you could like, and I, we would race. It was my first job, and that was my first one of my one of my first big letdowns in life was that bike getting stolen after I had worked my fucking ass off to get that. So was that? Would you say that was the first time you experienced like the value of money and and how to earn it? And yeah, yeah, without a doubt, that was a that was a real important lesson for me. And and like I said, I. Had, because of that, I had treated it well, you know. I mean, it got stolen, and, uh, you know, I had it locked up, et cetera. But I did treat it well, and, I, you know, I appreciated it more because I had worked hard. And I was like, that's a good lesson to learn, you know, because I think when you're given shit, I mean, it's like yeah. hard to, you know. I mean, we uh, deal with people, even sure. at our age, that are given shit all the time, and <laughs> they, don't, they yeah. haven't learned that lesson no, yet. No, <laughs> absolutely not. Yeah, that was a very, very big, important lesson. I remember learning you know with the paper route guy coming over and learning how to you know work the money situation how to collect the money from the customers and and then how to you know sort of figure out how much i'm making and um i remember that i was very interested in that i thought that was really cool the whole accounting of this whole paper route thing i, I really took to it and i learned a lot that was a really important experience for me was that your only job in high school or did you did you get another job i got another job uh, after the paper route, two jobs actually. I was working. Uh, the first one was at a shoe store. Haverhill. Yeah, in Haverhill. Just sort <laughs> shoe of store, grocery store. Which one are you gonna do? You know. What are you gonna do? Uh, you gonna you gotta choose. So, sell papers, shoe, shoe yeah. store. So shoe store. store. So I got a shoe store. It was uh, nothing to do with a shoe factory. It was just a regular retail. It was a pay less or something. It was an independent one though. It was an independent shoe store, and but they carried all sorts of brands, and you know, it's like you know, this is, you know, I guess this is before Foot Locker. Um, I don't even know if this guy's a business anymore, but because uh, I imagine they're all getting put out because of the uh, you know footlockers of the world and paylesses of the Zappos. world. Zappos.com. Yeah, yeah. yeah Zappos.com, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, shoe store. Just sort of, at first, you know, simple stocking things. I would. He taught me how to um, get a shipment of shoes in, price them, put the labels on them, and get the boxes all and, and set them up somewhere and put a little display, that kind of thing. Eventually, he had me dealing with customers trying to sell shoes. He was trying to teach me how to sell. I learned a lot about selling from this guy. Uh, his name was Mark. He was very slick, very good salesman. He could talk you into anything. It was fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. People would come in that didn't want anything, and he would get them to get something. I, I really, again and again, I saw him do this. So did he Did he teach you the ways of the pitch and the he, sell? He sort of tried to, and, he, you know, a lot of it was just watch, watch me. Uh, and I sort of uh, adopted a few of his tactics. And He uh, was the owner? Yeah, he was the owner. Okay. Yeah, he so he had to sell. He had to sell, and yeah. he was there a lot. He was he was the owner, but he was also there all the time. He um he actually employed 
his uncle, an old man, he gave an old Italian man that had worked in the shoe factories back in the day, really old guy who was on the verge of passing, and he gave this guy a part-time job to hang around the store. Oh, and, he would, and he would try and sell, too. He would, he would try, and, but he didn't have to. He could just sit there. So I would watch Mark and his uncle and, and do their thing, and then I would try to, you know, I would try to sell, too. I always felt bad. I felt like you were pulling a fast one on somebody. I did feel that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't have the moral, um, I, I, I was too... You weren't a shark. You weren't a shoe I shark. I wasn't a shark like he was. Like, I, I saw him have make people do, and he would lie. You know, he would lie. He would he would do this all the time, and I thought this was really funny. So he would take the shoe, and if it was, like, an older person, he would just make up words about the shoe. Like he, new technologies that yes, aren't even real. Yes, that's right. Yeah. He'd go, this thing right here has, <laughs> this thing here has the, uh, the smacked sole, <laughs> which is completely, and, and he would look at me and kind of wink, yeah. you know, and he would do this, like, in real time. And, I, <laughs> I mean, stuff it's like that. Gift, though. Stuff like you that know? all the time. Yeah, he would totally, the gift of gab and this, and he would, oh, my God, it was, and I had a hard time. It was fun. I would do it occasionally, but I, I felt bad about it. I, I did, I did. I was too, you know, I was too innocent. Well, there was, yeah, there's more on the line for him, yeah. too. You're just the guy trying to make a yeah. couple bucks in high school. That's so, right. So. I wish I could remember what I was getting paid an hour there. It was five bucks. Yes, something no. like that. It was Six under the bucks. table. And then the job I had after that, in, also in high school, my I would say my junior senior year in high school, I worked at a catering place called Pat's Beef House, and I just would would work mostly weekends. We would do weekend doubles and stuff, and I, my weekend would just be shot. I'd just be working all day Saturday, all day Sunday on these. They'd have these parties, these wedding receptions or yeah. whatever, and I would be just doing dishes and cleaning giant, giant Bus tubs of plates. tubs of like <laughs> this was like a big. This was the the you know the mashed potato the thing, buffet yeah. style, the buffet yeah. style stuff. Yeah, yeah, and they made their specialty was roast beef. So Pat's beef house they like everyone would go there for the roast beef and so they would cook so much roast beef and you just these were cooked on these they were they were like roasted forever on these flat trays big trays and we and would just fat just congeals oh, and yes <laughs> and we would just i felt it was just kind of like a, an assembly line of kids just scrubbing <laughs> with a steel huge yeah. steel wool pads scrubbing these roast beef pans like all day and all night my hands would just be like <laughs> it's just and then we had to work this cut. we had to work this um huge industrial dishwashing machine where and fight over who was the feeder and who was the catcher the feeder had the easy job of just putting the stuff the catcher had to deal with these dishes coming out that were so scaldingly hot <laughs> and it was just like the worst man yeah. <laughs> you know? and so yeah we, those are the things i would do also we would break down in the before the party would start and then at the end when everybody cleared out, we would go out and break down. We'd bring all the glasses in. From so the you guys were doing it. Like, what was the service staff doing? Pretty much nothing. Just we were it, bring, man. Yeah, the but, sir, oh, you weren't bringing out the food, though, were you? No, no. They had the like, catering. Usually has like sure. the service staff. That That's right. The food. So w- there was all women. There was a staff of all women that would bring out the food, and uh, we would be just the ones helping. Uh, You're the muscle. We were the muscle behind the scenes, and most of the stuff that we did was just cleaning yep. and, and washing all those dishes and all those glasses and everything that was, was enjoyed that. Made better money and spent a lot of it on baseball cards and stupid stuff like that. Yeah, really weird. What an idiot. I was. <laughs> was so dumb. I think a yeah. lot of people went through that uh, yeah, yeah. phase of collecting. They're like, what the hell am I doing? Yeah, yeah. So you leave Haverhill after high school. Uh, Co- are we doing college or are we doing. So, no, I stay in Haverhill after high school. Uh, oh, okay. I, I attempt, I didn't have the grades uh, to get into college, and um, uh, nor the money. And my family, at that time, only they had one person in my entire family that had gone to, that had graduated college. Now there's one, two, four, five, maybe seven, something like that. But at that time, there was only one, and that relative I wasn't close to. And we've just, we've just, college wasn't yeah. part of the, 
wasn't a. It just option. wasn't part of the environment. I guess it was an option. They were sort of. My parents didn't know anything though. They didn't know anything about it. They were just like, "Oh, I guess you go to college, right? Afterwards, just go." I'm like, "No, no." It actually uh, costs like a lot of money yeah, to do this. I remember filling out the financial aid forms myself and like being like, "Give me your. Can you can you give me your taxes?" <laughs> and to, like, like they, what are those? They knew nothing. Uh, and I remember getting no like getting very little aid. That's so bizarre though. Because our income. Yeah. Well, the way that it's set you guys up. Were like, that's right. Well, the way that it was set up, you had to make between the uh, the entire household in order for you to get sufficient aid had to be you know under well like under twenty thousand dollars you know for you to stand out to, mm. to get that aid which is you know b- below po- you have to be poverty level like you have to be making fifty sixteen thousand dollars in your household or something to get financial aid from the government at that time that's crazy. so we, they were making like th- mid thirties low thirties and th- that was just that wasn't enough. I mean, that was too much. That was too much. So I thought, maybe I'll go to community college. Meantime, I got a full-time job, my first full-time job, as a uh, a bill collector. Yeah, calling people for money. Right. We were talking about this yeah, yeah. outside the club one night, right? Yeah, I think I we was, were. Because I was bitching about college loans and how I don't pay them. And then you're like, oh, I used to call people to get them yeah. to pay their college loans. College loans. I've called people to collect. Man, I've collected all sorts of stuff. I've collected state taxes in mass. I've collected credit cards at Citibank, People's Bank. So uh, this, is, this is actually pretty good insight because I'm always confused on like how serious it is like when a bill collector is trying to find you is it really as intimidating as they make it sound or is it uh, no no not at all I mean you don't have anything to be worried about right. really in general there's really nothing that they can, can do yeah. no nothing at all and can yeah. you like cut deals with them and stuff too or is yes that... sure we would cut deals all the time yeah there's nothing they can do I mean we would just it's all smoke yeah that's know? what I figured yeah, yeah. you know we, we try to just a lot of letters a lot of phone calls and what I was doing, what we were all doing, was threatening people. We were threatening people. It was made up threat, but Which is we were threatening a, people. Kind of illegal. It's totally illegal. <laughs> There's um, something called the FDCPA, the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, that governs. Each state is different. There are different laws per state. Some states allow you to call only, to make contact twice a week. Some just once right. a week. Can't some call are unlimited. Hours or whatever. Yes, yeah. the law for that is universal in this country. It's, it's 9 to 9. You can't call after 9 p.m. nor oh. before 9 a.m. Which can be dicey when you're calling all over the country, you know, because sometimes we would get in trouble because we didn't realize, oh, I just called Hawaii. It's, it's 5 a.m. Yeah, internet, so you had to do the math on your own. Yeah, Bill, I collected um, past due computer equipment, Dell computers. I collected student loans. So give me a normal conversation that you would have with someone who you're calling. Say you call me up. Okay, it's, it would be different case by case. Because I ignore those calls, sure, so I don't really know how the do. conversations go. Okay, it's case by case basis. First of all, I would try and find out as much information as I could about you. Usually that would just be whatever information you was on your application. Let's say this is a credit card. You put uh, you put information down. You put your... Yeah, social number, address. Yeah, but you also put your you know your occupations, past occupations. So I could see what you do, your education. I might be able to find some of that information. And then I would look at your credit report. I would pull up your credit report. We would pull everybody's credit report. That's what you get when you get a new account. You would land on my desk. I might have, if I'm lucky, I might have your original application, but the computer would have all your info, last phone number they have for you, flip the screen, and I see your credit report. And I would read that first, and I'd get an idea of how much do you owe in credit cards? Do you have student loans? Do you own any property? Uh, am I looking at installment loans? Do you have a nice car? Is there, do you own a boat? You can find these things. You can even find uh, employment information on there. You know, uh, A lot of times it's not up to date, but you can still see what industry that you might be in. So before I even made the call, I would do my due diligence and find that out. If I, found, if I thought you owned the home, I would call the city tax assessor and find out who owns the home. Now I'd, get, I'd use that information. That would be one of the first phone calls we'd make if we thought you owned the home. We'd find out if you own a home because that's leverage. Then get all the background information, then make the call. And depending on the type of person... That 
that depends on that would be my approach. A young guy like you, I guess the approach mostly would be because you probably don't own anything. It would be it's going to fuck up your credit. You do your credit very important. We would totally threaten that. I would threaten to get your family involved to embarrass you if if I thought that might work. If you get a college, I student, wish you could see his eyes right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going back in the character. <laughs> I'm going to threaten your family. Yeah. I'm going to threaten yes. you. I'm going to threaten your credit. That's right. You know the best were like college students. If you had a college student, you just be like, okay, you know, you pay this right now. Well, I'm going to call your parents right now. I'm going to call your parents. Well, if that doesn't work, I'm going to call your school. You know, I'm going to call your school administrators and I'm going to let them know. Yeah, I'm just not embarrassing you. Basically, is what they're tr- you're trying to do. Right. I'm. I'm gonna, I would say something like, are you on? You know, are you on scholarship? I'm going to call the school's administrator and then I can't do anything. You say things like that. They don't know, you know. That's what I'm saying. I was like, I don't. You, I have no yeah, idea. It's a young person, that's what you do. Things like that. They hate to be embarrassed. They hate to get their parents involved. They care, some of them care about credit. Um, so you can do all of those things. You can threaten to if they have a job. You can threaten them, you know, to, to call the employers and this kind of thing. I'll tell you one crazy thing that we used to do just to sort of elucidate this sort of lengths that we would go to. I worked at a law office. We weren't lawyers. The law office was the collection firm. Occasionally, we would sue people. If we had to, we would sue them through the lawyer. I mean, this is like crazy amount of money that they owe, or Basically, how would yes. you sue someone? Uh, a lot of student loan debt. If we owned the debt, sometimes we would you buy, buy the, debt. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, we buy debt at, and this is why these companies like Citibank and stuff, you know, like they're they're okay if you don't pay the credit card bill because what happens is they write it off, and a lot of times they sell it for pennies on the dollars. You owe three thousand dollars in a credit card, they sell it to a company for a thousand bucks, and they get to collect. Out of that $3,000, you probably only really purchased $1,000. You've already – and if you've been making payments for a long, long time, you've already paid your principal balance anyway. You know this, right? Yeah, this yeah. is this total scam. The yeah. whole credit card industry is outrageous. Screw these people. And for the listeners, if you owe a credit card, <laughs> you don't have to pay it. They can do nothing to you. And I yeah. love to tell that to people. <laughs> I love it. So we had a lawyer on the premises. We're not lawyers. Of course, we say we're calling from a law office. And we would imply that yeah, we are intimidate right. immediately. In fact, one of my aliases was Anthony Larkin, and I would ID myself. I would say I'm calling from the law Esquire. offices of. I would say I'm calling from the law offices of whatever Loman and Loman. I'm Attorney Larkin. So if anybody says, "Hey, he he identified himself as an attorney," no, no, no. I said Anthony, Anthony Larkin. Okay, there's something for you, right? Wow. Chew on that. Okay, get somebody on the phone. We say, um, "You owe the debt. You owe five thousand dollars." Here's the debt. I just wanted to find out who do you do you have anybody representing you or will you be representing yourself because it doesn't say on the paperwork. So I don't even ask you to pay this debt. I just immediately told you I'm taking you to court for this debt. Yeah, you're getting sued. Do you have someone representing you? And you're like, well, this is news to me. Well, it shouldn't be news to you. You haven't paid in eight months. Maybe you didn't get the paperwork. I don't know. I can fax it to you if you'd like. I'm like, no, 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 no. I, I, what can I do to stop this? I don't know if I can stop it. I mean, it's the file. We're giving it to the down to the attorneys and it's going to go through. Well, no, I don't. I want to do something about this. You want to pay this? Yeah, yeah, I want to pay this. We start to negotiate a little bit. Now, what I'm not going to allow you to do is make a payment plan anymore. And I would tell you straight up, they tried that. It doesn't work. Can you get the entire balance? For me, a commission-based collector, I want commission on 5000 If I, I don't want commission on 50 bucks a month. If you pay 5000 that's probably 400 bucks in my pocket on average. So now you say you sound like a nice guy. First of all, let me get some information. Are you employed? Is this your correct address? Boom, boom, boom. I would try and get you to give me your, your employer information. That's very important. So the person owing the debt can say, no, I don't want to give you that. Sure, sure, they can. And it was always hard for us to do. So I would kind of muscle a little bit. Like, well, look, I'm trying to help you here and not hurt you. I'm not going to call cop, your employer. You know, we can stop it from going to court. Just be cooperative. So then I would be like, I'm going to put you on hold. But I just want to let you know we've had trouble with the phones lately. So if you get disconnected, here's my number. I'll also try and call you back if we get disconnected because we're just having some phone trouble. So then I would put the debtor on hold, and I had to get a friend that worked there in the office. I'd be like, Frank, I got a guy on the hook here. They come over, and you're like, oh, yeah, it's five grand. Okay, he takes the, the number and the last name. 
goes over to his desk. I dial Frank's number. He picks up his phone. Then I click to allow the debtor to hear us as I then speak to Frank. And I say, Frank, um, yeah, I got the uh, I got the O'Neill account here. And then Frank would be like, oh, the O'Neill, the O'Neill account, that's about that's going to court right away. You get Is that all taken care of? And I'm like, well, look at, um, I just spoke to him and wasn't aware that it's going to court, doesn't have any representation, and actually wants to strike a deal. And then Frank would be like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, we can't, this is going right now. This is going right now. Like, Frank, can you do something for me? Nice guy. He's cooperative. He's giving me his employer information. He's like, this is like Wolf of Wall Street dude, stuff. Dude, crazy shit, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Long story short, we would say, all right, well, if you can slip a check into the file, it's got to go right now. If they can pay over the phone or with a credit card, or there's got to be a check in the file when that hits the lawyer's desk. Otherwise, they're going to process it. If there's no check in the file for at least a settlement amount, I'll let you go 70 cents on a dollar. I'm not going any lower than that. Like, thank you, Frank. I appreciate that. And then I'd click the button again and be like, oh, Benny, you still, are you still there, Ben? Okay, I just spoke to Frank Lawson, and uh, you know, he's, uh, he's saying we, you know, we can do something for you. There's a settlement. If you want to settle out of court, 70 cents on a dollar. So instead of paying five grand, you can pay like 3400 and you don't have to deal with this anymore. The only problem is we need to, have, we need to show proof of payment. It's got to be in your file right now because it's going to be processed. So that means you either got to pay over the phone with a credit card. You can have a relative call us with a credit card if you want, or you give me a check over the phone for the amount. It does not have to be dated today. If you think you can get the money in a couple days, I will post-date this check, but they have to see the check in the file in order for them to stop the process at this point. I wouldn't let you – so the goal was not to let you off the phone. Without paying. Without a pay. In fact, we had a when we were doing credit cards, we would and have. That sounds like it would work most. We of the would time. have a mo- we would That's, all have a model. Me just listening Do to not it. let someone off the phone without a check. Do not let. We would bounce crazy amounts of checks. We would collect sixty thousand dollars gross in checks, and almost like maybe half of it would bounce because I pushed these checks out of people without having out of fear. Yeah, they don't have money, and they didn't have the money. They yeah. gave me the check. And then my job then is to follow up with them, get, the, get that money. You said you were going to get it from your, your relative. You know, make sure it's in the account. The check is dated this day, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, you said you could you know, get a cash advance on a credit card and put it in the account. That's why the check is dated for Thursday. Make sure that – and I would do a lot of that. Yeah. A lot of my work would be following up on these checks that I have. But uh, invariably, you would bounce down. And it, that was expected. Totally expected because all we, you know, our supervisors just pushed hardcore – to get, do not let them off the phone without a so check. So to make your supervisors happy, you're just like, I'll, I'll get whatever. I don't care if you have the money. I'll just get it. And then when the supervisor realizes the check bounced, he, it's his fault. Anyway. They didn't. Yeah. They didn't. You know, they would. They would have to deal with the clients. The clients would be like, Look at what's up with all these checks that you guys are getting that are bouncing. You know, the client would occasionally complain. But we were yeah. collecting more money than anybody. This crew I was working with were amazing, and they were collecting. You Cutthroat. know, we were a great collection agency, and we would we would get money. You know, because these guys were hardened cutthroat. A lot of them were criminals, and this is what they did, you know. And I learned from these guys, you know. I learned, man, I learned how to be a beast doing this stuff, you know. And I, I'm not like that. I'm not like that. I was wide-eyed. I didn't know anything about credit. I was 18 years old. Yeah, they I, I trained knew, you. I never even seen a credit report before. I knew I had no credit myself. I never paid a bill like that before. I never paid bills like that before. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know anything about credit cards, and I just picked all of this up. And within like two years, I was making you know commission checks like two thousand dollars a month on top of my regular pay, and I was I, you know I was buying all this stuff, buying a new car, and so how long were you in that racket for? I did that for three years. So uh, eighteen and twenty one, and then realized did like the morality ca- catch up with you. I guess it's not really too immoral, but because you are. No. They do owe the debt. Yeah, I had sunk into some moral depravity I guess the, in I guess this place. The, yeah, I yeah. guess the, the methods of yeah. extracting the money are a little unscrupulous. Without a doubt. And there was people there was people in that 
company that were doing really crazy stuff, man. There was I mean, the FBI came to our office and took a dude away. This is Wolf of Wall Street yeah. with tax collected. collection. Yeah, <laughs> took this guy away because apparently he was taking down debtors' credit card numbers and furnishing his whole entire apartment. Debtors would come to the oh, place. Oh, he was using he was, he was uh, taking ID fraud. Yeah, he was doing ID yeah. fraud because we had access to numbers and right. stuff. In fact, I've done it. Not credit cards and stuff, but I've used other people's social security number to like open like a Con Ed account. What's that? Like a electric account, electricity, okay. and a cable account. I've done this just well, to just to get free cable, basically. Yeah, on their social security. Yeah. I used the social security numbers of dead people and opened up. Oh, this That's is like crazy. no harm, no foul, though. I feel like it's no harm, no foul. So I would talk we, about that a little bit. I like I was, that. I like all that right. Stuff. So when I was in college, I had all learned all these skills about. I learned about credit, and then when I get to call, I went to college because I realized I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. I don't want to sit in a goddamn cubicle on the phone. For eight hours a day. So I went to college. I was able to like go to a state school because I had a my cousin. He was like a, a big time dude at the school. He was president of the student body. He was in with the administration. And so he even let me live with him. So I moved into, it was my first apartment. I moved into a college apartment with him and his friends. I was a freshman. They were seniors. And then uh, he got me in with the hopes that with good grades, I could get some scholarships. And I ended up doing very well because I was focused and paying for it myself. For the most part, bringing it back to the bike. Yeah, and and I got some loans, bringing it back to the bike. Yeah, so but I had all this crazy education from working at this place, working with criminals and, and stuff. Yeah, it's street cred, and street street smart, yeah. exactly. Uh, and I had started doing drugs with these people, and these people were moving stolen goods in this place. These people, all of them, were selling drugs. There was, I think, there was some sort of level of prostitution going on in this joint. It was a crazy, crazy place because bill collectors are like. They're, they're below used car salesmen. In the 80s, the, my supervisor told me in the 80s they would drop prisoners off right at the door of the collection agency <laughs> because it was the only place that these people would get a job. And you saw that in the place. You saw that. You saw, like, you know, there was gang members I worked with. It was, like, it was a re- it was mob. Like, it was a couple mobsters or lo- were former mobsters, yeah, yeah. like, well, over the time. Have you, have you written about this it's at kinda, all? Yeah, I've written a lot about yeah, it. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, that's you a, know. It's a great idea for a show or something. Yeah, I do believe it is. And uh, we're working on that. Yeah, so I took those skills to college. And so, like, you were curious about what I had done. One of the, well, in the, my apartment and stuff, one of the things that I had done was I had contacts at the agency still. I would just call over and be like, hey, man, can you give me a social security number of, of a dead dude? It's a random dead dude. Because we would get dead guys all the time. Get The guy owes the account and, oh, call the estate and get him to pay. I'm like, oh, yeah, forget it. I'm not calling that. And I would open up so nothing th- crazy, just like a cable, you know, local ca- yeah. cable bill for just television. A, just a couple small things that you didn't want to pay for. And I didn't want to pay for it. I get the total package that I wanted, whatever it was it get yeah. crazy you know and then we would order movies and we watch porn on it order yeah. order all the stuff that costs extra on this dead guy's account and that's <laughs> awesome and uh yeah we then I mean, we wouldn't pay it and then we would open up and then when i get another social security number and open up another one so you had every you had all access the other thing that i did i, fi- I financed my my tuition by getting out taking out loans I had cash to pay for like the first year, and then I was like, "I'll take some loans out," and I used some of the cash too to pay for my living expenses because I didn't want to. I wanted to just go to school. I didn't want to like work and go to school. I just yeah. wanted to just go to school. I had worked already. I'd worked all my ass off, you know, forty-five, fifty hours a week, wearing, putting on a tie. We had to wear ties. What a joke! Right? No yeah. one sees me, but yeah. they they Crim- thought it, criminals in ties. They they, they <laughs> believe that it fostered a professional atmosphere, yeah, <laughs> yeah among criminals. Yeah, yeah. sure, real professional atmosphere. Yeah. So then, um, by the second year, I was just using my credit cards to pay for everything for my living expenses. To, I'm just living off my credit card because I knew I didn't have to pay them back, and I didn't. I didn't. I probably jacked like twenty thousand dollars. $25,000, $30,000 maybe in a span of a couple Without of years. Without even going bankrupt, you just didn't pay them? And the I didn't pay them. No, I didn't pay them. My credit was destroyed. 
but I knew that I didn't have to. Um, I was taken to court for one of them, and I just showed up. You didn't see a judge or anything. You just sat in a hallway, and this guy came over with a piece of paper, and it was a bunch of us. And he came over to each one of us. This is a, for a civil suit. And you come over and you'd be like, hey, you're so-and-so Jones, and uh, you owe KUO Citibank uh, 3000 here. Uh, what can you pay? And I was like, well, I'm in college now. I can pay $25 a month. Here, sign this, and you can go. So that's how Just that goes. promissory note. Again, those of you who are wondering what happens when you don't pay a credit card, this is a – That's the extreme – That's, that's the, the extreme example. Yeah. That's the extreme example. You go there. Of course, it screws your credit up. There's a judgment. There was a judgment on my credit. That's stronger than just a past due – so Citibank on your credit. But isn't there a statute and limitations on that anyways? Sure. Because now you must be – because that happened, what, 10 years ago? So right. So you must be good now. My credit's fantastic now. It's – well, for the most part, I owe a student loan. You know, a year ago when I – we had to – um, no, three years ago when I ran it in New York to get an apartment, my, my credit was like 740. Very, very good. It actually was very good. I think eight years later it was okay. Yeah. It, it takes a while for these things to fall off. Your credit, but they do fall off. Date of last activity, maybe like six, seven years after the date of last activity. Whatever right. that activity is, it could be a payment. It could be you were sued for it. Then it falls off, and your credit gets gets renewed. A lot, I don't know if a lot of people know that, but it's important to know that. So I and I knew all this, so I just paid so paid you said to a live. Nice free ride on on Citibank for yes, for a year. Yes, I did that for I I, I paid for all my living expenses for my sophomore and junior in college. I did have to get a part time job my senior year. That's what I did. I had to take out student loans as well to pay for the tuition, and I did get some scholarship because I really hit the books hard because I didn't have a job, and I just was like, I'm just going to do college, and I'm going to do it well. And I got like a 4.0 the first year. I got a 3.98 the second year, and I was on honor roll. I don't know whatever that was. I was dean's in, list. I was, I was dean's list. Was, then I got, I got shot into these special classes and shit, and I was just killing it and killing it. To me, it was easy. Yeah. I had done a full-time job before. This was Show up to class at 11 a.m. Listen to a professor. Talk. This was cakewalk. So easy to me. I didn't understand how people couldn't do this. You know. Then you find out. Well, they're not paying for it either. And yeah. you know, they, they just don't know the world. So I was going in later in life, and I knew the deal. Which is what I think college should be like. I don't think kids should go right to college after high school. I think there should be sure. a little bit gap because it's just. Yeah, yeah. I look back on it, and it's just you're too young. You're way too young. You're to way appreciate too, it, at least. Sure. Maybe not to learn it, but to appreciate I it. I even like the the model where some countries have you go to the military. The, yeah, a year of service, whether it's military service. or whatever. Great. Right. And then when you're done that, oh, you, oh, you could go backpacking for a year and see the world, or you yeah. go to school if you want. But give, give you a little buffer zone to figure things out because if you don't – I noticed a major difference because I had already figured out some experience in the real world, and it really helped me kick ass in, in college, take it very seriously. Of course, I did a lot of partying. Uh, Extracurricular activities? Chasing women, of course. <laughs> but Well, f- you said that you have a student loan out right now. Are you taking the same approach to that? Or are you paying that back? I've put it off. Every year I do the deferment, which is getting harder to do now that it's owned by a private company. Or what they call a servicer. But what's really happened is the government has sold these loans to these companies. And by the way, these companies probably bid for these loans. It's all you know. It's all politics how they get these accounts. So then there's a serv- third-party servicer for these loans now, and they're kind of bastards, and they don't. They're not as lenient as the government. When my when my loan was with the government, you just call them and tell them, "Hey, I'm in trouble. I can't pay these loans. I'm a struggling artist. Or, yeah, you know, like, I'm a okay. struggling comedian. You know, we'll give you another year. Sure, we'll give you another year. What do you need? Six months a year? Yeah. Or you? Hey, can I pay fifty bucks a month? Yeah, that's not a problem, man. You want to pay that for you? Yeah. So and then I would do a temporary payment plan of like fifty a month for a year yeah. or twenty-five a month for a year, just to show good faith. 
these companies now they're they're a little more tougher because I've already used up all my deferments and so I yeah. don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, a part of me doesn't want to pay it at all. I may not pay it. I may just let it go and let my credit go down again. Does student loans? They don't have a statute. I think that's just you have to owe that forever, right? I don't know about <laughs> the student loans. Yeah, I think with time though, these things will all. Yeah, hopefully you know they just fall by the wayside or yeah, you know, yeah. get a one big payday. Sure, just take it off a little bit here and there. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't want to pay it. <laughs> I don't want to either. I, I don't feel like I should have to. I know. I don't want to pay it. But, either. you know, now I'm sounding like a real jerk, so. You're not. So, let's move on to, like, when you first got into wanting to be an actor, comedian, voiceover, the more creative side of you after this stint with making some money, going to college, moving to New York. Yeah, so I um, I started playing music in college, started singing in, these, in some bands in uh, Massachusetts, and I really enjoyed performing. Really enjoyed being on the mic, being on stage, entertaining. Found out later, found out that my biological father was in fact a musician. So I don't know if, it, if that has anything to do with it, but I have a gift for music. I was having a great time doing that. And I was working. So I was in college doing this, and then out of college, I just wanted to... I tried to get a job in my industry, but it was a, it was a terrible situation. Uh, I ended up getting a sociology degree. I got the degree, I, I originally started in business, but I moved over to sociology because I kept taking these sociology classes because I liked the professors in there. They were so awesome, and I became buddies with them, and what they were teaching was so unique to me and interesting. I look at the world that I had never been exposed to, and I thought it was awesome, so I just kept taking those classes, and then it just made sense to turn my major into that uh, instead of business. And turn the major into stand-up. I use those skills to this day, of course, of course. I get into sociology. I graduated with a sociology degree, but I, I mean, I took it because I liked the, the classes and the teach. I, I you ended weren't up get, thinking about the future necessarily, but you're. I'm thinking not about thinking it. like I want to be a social worker. Is all you can really do with it, unless you want to be a professor. So I got a job right out of college. One of my professors, because I and I crushed. I was like the number one sociology student. I had like I was in the sociology club, vice president. I I was very active, like in college. Like I said, I crushed college. So she was like, "I got a contact. I can get you a job right out of here. You don't even have to just go on an interview. It'll be cake." So she gets me this job. I feel bad to this day because I ruined it. I go to the job. Here's the job. I go. I have to go with another social worker and sit in a room and monitor non-custodial parents playtime with their kids that they don't have oh, custody of in a neutral zone. So it's, we would go to like, like a school. A Mrs. Doubtfire style. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> Just watch them through a glass kind of. <laughs> yeah. We would sit in the room. It uh, usually was at a high school God, on weekends. So sad. Or at night. And it was after, so it would be like a, maybe a high school gym or they would find maybe a library, a room in a library. And we would go and we would have to write down everything that they said and did. And I couldn't, I, I just couldn't do this, man. After a while, I just was losing <laughs> my the, mind. The dad slowly wept and said, I love you. To yeah. his son. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, the saddest situations, man. Like, I don't know these people. I don't know what they've done, you know, and I. And this is just the worst thing, man. It was so awful. It's not so terrible that social workers, they really are trying to do a good thing. But I know a lot of people just get beat down by the, the sincere tragedy of what they observe in their jobs. Oh, man. Yeah, sure. My roommate in, uh, from New York uh, that I lived with for eight years, he was, you know, he's a social worker, drug program, really hardcore criminal things. And the things he told me that he's seen, he's seen it all now. So now he's sort of dead, dead to it. I don't know how you do. I don't know how you navigate. I couldn't handle this situation at all. I had a real hard time with this, and I had and that was probably tame compared to most of the I was social just, working standards. Sure, I'm sure that it is. And I had just come out of working with criminals who were doing blow in the bathroom, and then I was in this really crazy atmosphere that I thought, oh, I could probably handle any workplace. I couldn't handle this. I started like not doing the notes. Then the woman just fired. She's like, "You're not 
you're not doing the notes. And so and so said you left and went for a walk. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah. I need to clear my head. Right? This is I intense. To, she's like, it's only two hours. You can't just sit there. I'm like, finally, she's fired me. I don't know if it ever got back to my teacher who had got me the position. I feel, you know, I feel bad. I should have. I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't do it. So, yeah, that was right out of college. I'm still playing music. Then I got a job waiting tables because I'm like, screw this. Well, what can you do? I, I go, I'm not going to bill collect. I'll work in a restaurant. You can make some large cash. And so I worked in a restaurant in the town I went to college at, a really popular seafood restaurant. And it was fun. And I played music on the side. And I did that for a year. Then I started doing stand-up. I was doing stand-up in Boston. I was had to commute to Boston all the time. I sort of saw that I was going to need to move to move out of Boston. So I thought, I'm either going to move to L.A. or New York. But in the meantime, I have to save money. So I went back to bill collecting. I said, I'm going to bill collect for one year and save as much money as I can and then move either to New York or L.A. So I moved back in with my parents. I went to college late, so 24, I'm 25, 26. This is like 27 maybe. I'm just like, hey, I'm going to pay you guys rent. I'm, I'm, I'm here to do something. I'm just going to sock away as much money as possible to pursue this stand-up thing, which I'm loving. I was loving it so much, do, trying to do it every single night. I just love it. I would get in my car and drive a half an hour every night and then drive back and then go to work in the, in the morning and do it all over again. Work full-time and go into Boston at night every night, do it, or try to do it, and then drive back. I was, me- I was in the community there. Yeah. I was meeting all the comments. I was having a great time. It's a very social thing. I was you know, drinking and chasing women, and I was having a very good time and getting kind of funny. So I did that. I, I bill collected, and I saved up $20,000. My buddy was moving to New York. I'll go at the same time as you. So we went, and I thought, that was uh, this is it for me. I'm going to make it happen down there. So at this point, you weren't getting paid to do stand-up, though. Well, my first year, by the end of the year. Do you remember, like, your first creative payment for music, oh, comedy? Oh, for music, yeah. For music, voiceover. I was getting paid as soon as I joined a cover band. I, I answered an ad to join a couple cover bands I had started with for myself, and that takes a while to get paid because you get to build up. We're talking 80s, 70s? No, we're doing. 90s grunge? What, what we're doing of? a lot of 90s stuff. At this time, this is doing some smashing pumpkins. So this is early. This is around two thousand. We're doing so the decade just ended. Your decade just ended. They we're want, doing Nirvana. Yeah, the kids Pearl want some Jam. nostalgia. They want. They, they want, want Jeremy. Hit. That's right. They want Jeremy, but the girls want three a.m. Uh, third Eye Blind. Uh, thir- uh, no, they want um. What was the? It's three a.m. I must oh, match for twenty. They want Matchbox twenty. Matchbox twenty. They yeah. want if you could only see the way yes. she loved me. <laughs> They want <laughs> yes, yes. That stuff yeah. is very. That's what they yeah. want. So we're doing a lot of that. But I love, I love '90s music. So I'm happy because I get to do some Pearl Jam and some yeah. Soundgarden and some STP and that kind of stuff. We even throw in some Zeppelin that stuff. So I would do the girly and then stuff. Then you throw in the yeah. panty dropper. Yeah, throw in the panty dropper, the Goo Goo Dolls or some crap. Uh, whatever it takes. The cover bands pay. They paid. I mean, I was getting. I was getting a minimum. Everyone loves a cover band. Yeah, I'm getting a minimum of 100 you're bucks not, a gig. Not, everyone's singing along. You're not trying out new shit. I never, never did I think to myself, oh, I can make my living doing this. This is just something I'm doing on the side. I'm still yeah. bill collecting. I'm just trying to save money. This is what I'm doing. I always just use that money to play with. I never. In fact, a lot of times I would just drink it because I just, you know, I'd buy some weed it's like and I drink money. Yeah, 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 yeah. I buy drinks there or whatever, and yeah. By the end of my first year doing stand up in Boston, you can actually make money if you befriend like a. You, you know, you befriend, befriend a headliner. If you're decent, you, they'll take you to do some things. A couple guys took me to do a college thing, open for them. and Because uh, I was a, a, kind of a younger, I had like some college-type material kind of stuff and make a little bit of money. Uh, I don't really, I don't necessarily remember my first paid stand-up gig. Um, I guess it was 
for this guy named Dick Doherty who books a lot of uh, stuff in, in Boston, uh, one of his gigs, hosting or something. But it was definitely hosting. Whatever that was, it was hosting, and right. I probably got 50 bucks or something. Pretty good feeling, though. Amazing feeling. Yeah. yeah. Amazing feeling when you, you get paid. F- you feel yeah. like you're cheating or something. Like, what, 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 yeah. This is extra, man. This is like, I don't yeah. need this. I still <laughs> would do this if you didn't pay me. Yeah. That's right. It absolutely feels like extra, especially doing stand-up because, you know, with music, we had to sweat for two or three hours. And, and you got to lug equipment. And we lug equipment. Got, yeah. This is like I'm talking. I just show up and I talk for 15 minutes and then walk away, and yeah. I'm getting paid for that. I mean, it's shake like – Shake some hands. Have shake some, some laughs, hands. Right. Get a number. Get a phone number. Talk to women. Have a drink on the house. Hang out. Hang out with comedians. The best. The best thing to ever. Hang out with comedians. Comedians are like the best people. They're you know, they're just great to talk to. They're so fucking smart. That's what I love about comedians. So smart. I want to be around smart people. So this was the best. This was the best life. And you did that for a few years. Now you're in L.A. Yeah, 10 years in New York, and now I'm here. I think we got the nice uh, the background on you. I kind of want to transition into some more hypothetical questions that will bring up a story for you, if you have time. Plenty of time. So obviously we always think that we can have more money and that we try to save and things that we try to cut back on spending. Do you have some, like, vices that you have? That's where the money's going. It doesn't have to be anything too crazy. Do you have anything like that in your life? I have an issue where I buy a lot of coffee. So don't have a coffee maker, but buy a lot of coffee. I have a French press, and I use it, and I have bought coffee for that. I used it this morning, as a matter of fact. But I would say for a long time, I wouldn't – I just wouldn't – whether I could make it or not, I wouldn't make it. I would just buy it out twice a day, every single day. I mean this is getting to the point where it's like you know cigarettes. You know what I mean? Right, yeah, exactly. going to spend a day. You look back, how much am I spending a week on coffee? If I get two coffees a day that are three bucks each or two fifty – I'm spending five bucks, six bucks a day on coffee – that is $35, $40 a week perhaps. Maybe We're looking at you know $150 a month I'm spending on coffee. Uh, Basically yes. water with some ground of beans and in it. When I was in New York and I was making good money as a voiceover and commercial actor, I was buying the whatever I wanted for coffee. I was buying this – in New York, I'm buying the $6, the yeah. $5 coffee every day. Every day I'm getting a dirty chai latte. <laughs> All right? I'm getting a super deluxe dirty – a large – Super filthy. Throw in every adjective you can. That's, right. That's what you're getting. I'm getting. So now when I get a filthy chai latte, right, which I love. This is one of my favorite drinks. Filthy means two additional shots of espresso. So this drink goes from four bucks to two extra shots. This drink is like $7 drink, $6 yeah. drink because there's two extra shots of espresso, whatever those are. They're $1.25 yeah. or whatever they are. They're pour- That's right. That's what I'm drinking. This week. Let's That's go. That's right. Now I'm doing that every day, you know. Uh, maybe I'm buying two of those a day. This was like I did this for a while, man. I would buy and ten then, bucks a day on coffee. Yeah. Totally reasonable in New York when I was living there. I would do this, but then the habit keeps up with you. And then if your income is changing, you still have the daily habit of spending six, seven do. bucks a day. I know, and I'm, you know, I've made. I'm trying to struggle with this adjustment. I, I'm making it, and I'm making coffee in my place now. For the, I'm trying to anyways. And even there's a place near here that I like to go to, and it, it's like a dollar fifty. And I'm like, I'm okay with that. Dollar fifty. This has always been a little guilty pleasure of mine is the coffee, spending money on coffee. And, you know, I, I've spent way too much over the years when you add it up. But I like it. That's the thing. If I you like li- it if a lot. Like it, I really like it. You know, I really enjoy it. I mean, I'm not buying blow, you know, and or yeah. I'm not gambling. I, exactly. I just love coffee so much, and I, I have to have it every day. And so... You know, rather than make it, I like to just go get the fancy shit sometimes. <laughs> and even if it's not the fancier shit, it's just you're, you're going to the store, you're getting the experience, you're seeing people, you're saying hello, you're getting in the society. I love it. You're paying the extra, the extra two bucks sure. just for a little conversation, just for That's a little right. human interaction. Do you have any, like, uh, like, if you look back in your life, do you have any, like, serious regrets 
and like investments or like something that you spent a bunch of money on. You're like, why did I do that? Sure, I still think about this. When I was the first time I was bill collecting, I was like 19, 20 years old. This was the year that I made good money. You know, I'm like 19, I made like over forty thousand dollars or something like that. I got. I remember getting bonus checks for like. I get a bonus check for like three grand on top of my regular pay and just be like, oh man, I had all this money. This dude who sold stolen goods in the collection agency sold me this laptop and it was like the first laptop I'd ever seen. This was like, you, there, wasn't, there weren't any laptops around that often. It's like a suitcase. It was so heavy. And I remember giving him a thousand dollars cash for this thing and this thing didn't even work. At all, I really could not even use it. I just wanted a laptop. I remember trying to use it a few times, but it just the processor was so lame. I just had this did stupid. You, did you call him out for it? I never did, man. I never did. I was scared of it. He the got kind you of... good. He got me. He got me totally. He knew you weren't going to do shit about it. Too. He knew I wasn't going to do anything about it. I also bought a lot of weed off this guy too. Um, Hopefully, a better product. Yeah, that yeah, that was good. <laughs> He 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 introduced me to Biggie Smalls. I mean, he he oh. he has an, he, you know I'll always remember him for that as well. Uh, but yeah, I mean that stupid ass laptop, man. That thing was a piece of crap. I don't know why. I bought it to like look cool. You know, so stupid. You got one of the uh, the first ones. It was, it was one of the first ones. It must it have wasn't been hip yet. So you you had mentioned earlier that you saw that one of the questions here. The question is, have you ever asked someone for a large sum of money? And you mm-hmm. said no, but you have had someone ask you for a large sum of money. Yeah. And yeah. I'm very interested in this topic because I've had friends who needed money at a pinch from folks mm-hmm. or whatever, and it's just a, it's a very weird thing to ask someone that you're close to for money because it can kind of convolute the relationship between you and your friend or your family or whatever. So if you wouldn't mind just telling uh, the story about um, someone asking you for some money. Well, uh, at this time, I was probably, I was in the collection agency at this time. I was making good money, like I said. It was probably around the same time that I guess I bought that laptop. So I'm like 20 years old. I bought a new car and I, you know, I started to wear nice ties and this kind of crap and wear even wear because these guys I started buying rings. Yes. I was wearing like oh, gold okay, rings. So these guys because I was working with a lot of these there's a lot of these mobsters and right. these sort of like criminals and they were wearing jewelry and, and I started like buying into this culture and so I started wearing. So did you feel like when you were making more money, it made you become more materialistic? Oh, certainly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was I was indulging. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was buying. You know, I would go shop. I was Abercrombie and Fitch. I mean, anything I wanted, and I was buying jewelry and nice uh, wearing not suits, but I would buy nice shirts. I was kind of getting into it. Guy, yeah, hey, you know, me too. And I got yeah. my phone in and I got rings on my phone. Yeah. You know, like yeah, you know, you better pay. <laughs> this yeah like oh like doing it up like stupid and you can imagine i look very young for my age as it is i was a fresh-faced like 20 19 year old imagine how young i looked like a baby and i got all this <laughs> it's ridiculous just wearing your dad's clothes yeah it's just ridiculous <laughs> yeah. uh, i'm getting tailored shirts at this time one of my good friends who was also a bill collector i had been working with for two years or so and i uh, was friends with his wife i knew you know i was spent a lot of time at his house and you know i knew his you know he had a, he had a, a baby daughter and he was a really although he was a good bill collector and, and kind of he had that shady quality he was actually a good person there was a few of us good like these people were good people they just ended up in a collection agency because of lack of resources no education but they were good people some people were in an industry that disappeared and they had no other skills. They had to come bill collect. There was a guy who was a radio DJ for like 20 right. years. The, they sold his radio company. And he was too old to get a job. They were hiring yeah. the younger people. He came, bill collected. Like You had people like that. You had lawyers who got disbarred come and bill collect. So you got, there was an interesting mixture there. So this kid was just there. He was a good guy, though. Well, uh, one day he goes to take money out of his account at the ATM. And it says he's got uh, $10,000 in his checking account. That isn't – he don't have $10,000 right. in his checking account. 
He's got ten thousand in his checking account or savings account, whatever it was. He's got ten grand. He's got ten grand out of nowhere. Falls out of the sky. He decides that this some is free. This is free money. I'm gonna spend this. I'm gonna spend this. And when money. it's gone, they can't take it back. That's right. So he goes and uh, takes, decides to um, take his family to a weekend away cabin on the lake, rents a boat, spends five thousand dollars <laughs> over a weekend <laughs> <laughs> on a lake. <laughs> Not even internationally, just a lake. Just go, lives it up, buys some things for the house. Uh, I think a new stereo, a new TV. I mean, just spends five, but spends five of it. Monday comes around or Tuesday, he gets a call from his bank and they say that money was put in your account by mistake. If you just put it back, it's uh, it isn't yours. It belongs to another customer, whatever, whatever. And he's like, I don't have it. I don't have all of it. And they're like, we'll give you a couple of days to get it. Otherwise, we're going to have to press charges or something. There was something. <laughs> Other, I don't know what they were going to do. Otherwise, your coworkers going to be calling yeah, sure. you asking for $5,000. <laughs> so Chris knew I had – I was making more money than anyone in our – we were in a group of collectors. And I was I was the kind of the top dog in that group at that time. And I was making good money for that year. And he, he, he asked me for help. And uh, I gave him five grand. Wow. You gave it to you gave him all of it. I gave him all of it. I gave him all of it, and um, and he paid me back. It took him a year. Wow! But he paid me back. That's a great story, though. You yeah, you don't really cool? hear those stories very. I often. know, and I remember the the last payment too was a big payment. I remember he hadn't paid very. He had paid. Did you have to keep on him, or was he pretty I, diligent about? He was pretty good. Give me you know his three hundred here, his two hundred here, and then you know he was kind of trying to knock it down. But by, I remember by the end of the year there was like it was like. He had only paid like three thousand dollars or something on it, and I remember. But I remember he's like, "Hey, I'm getting a big bonus check." He actually moved offices. He worked at a other place and was doing well. And he's like, "Hey, I'm getting a two thousand dollar bonus. I'm just gonna give it to you. So come on by this weekend." And I hadn't seen him in a, in a little bit. And I remember going and giving me a whole like two thousand dollars to take care of it. And I think there was like a couple hundred extra. And then he's like, "Oh, just just take the whole thing. Just take the whole thing. yeah." And you know, I, that felt great. I helped him out. I don't think I would have done that now. I was so naive back then at that age i so believed in the goodness of humanity i never thought that he would screw me yeah, over of course I, he's gonna pay me back i thought <laughs> of course he's gonna pay me back and you know he did it's still a weird decision to miss i look back on more that. times than not that person's not gonna pay you back yeah this isn't a relative it's a co-worker this isn't a childhood friend they could disappear they could go work somewhere i never yeah. see them again they change their number i mean i don't know anything could happen I don't know. I just I was very trustworthy, and I and I uh, I don't know. I just I, I did. I can't believe I did it to this day. Well, it's a. It sounds like a pretty charitable act. Have you? Do you do anything else like charity wise, or do you give your time away, or give money to anything, or is that? No, I really don't anymore. I mean, yeah. my occasional Kickstarter campaign for a friend that, yeah. never, that never seems to hit the goal. Yeah, <laughs> strategically, <laughs> just try to find yeah. the, the most unbelievable sure. Kickstarter so you don't have to pay for sure. it. Do you often feel like <laughs> when you give to a Kickstarter campaign, you kind of secretly hope that it right. doesn't hit the goal so you can still get the credit of yeah. giving? <laughs> no, that's, I think that's a bit there. I might have to try that yeah. tonight. There's something about that, about giving to the Kickstarter. Uh, you secretly that's hope. That's the opening line. That's, that's is, the opening line. Yeah. Do you ever, do you you ever had a friend <laughs> give a Kickstarter? <laughs> Their crappy short film or web series. Yeah. And you're like, oh, this guy's trying to raise 23000 for yeah. a web series. Good luck. I'm definitely giving <laughs> yeah. because he's not going to hit it, you, and you, I'm going to feel really good. 500 Why not? <laughs> <laughs> Anything oh, thank you for that $1,500. Oh, yeah. no sweat. No sweat. I just yeah. got money to burn right now. <laughs> yeah, right. I hope you hit your $85,000 goal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that stuff is ridiculous, right? No, I don't give to any. When I was in New York, I would uh, frequently give 
money to street performers. I would give well, that my thing is every like day almost. Can, I would uh, give change with with that kind of stuff, like with guys in the street or whatever. You know, don't necessarily like be a clown for me, but like mm-hmm. use a barter system. I'll give you this dollar. Do something. Say something nice yeah, to right. someone else. And it's, it's just this whole like you owe me this thing. I don't like that shit. I don't like that either. I won't give to them. I I, I it's always a performer. It's got to be a performance. Yeah. Or I really in general I won't give unless it's a performance. And I love to give to guitarists. I see guitarists, singer songwriters. Yeah. I, I like. I love that because well, I come I, from that place, you know, and I love that. And so I'll usually give them, throw them a yeah. buck or two. I go back and forth. And the whole charity thing in general, because um, you hear so many shitty stories about people taking advantage of it, people that you give to on the street or whatever, and they're not using it for food, they're using it for drugs. So, yeah, you hear about a lot. Of, you even hear about that about like major charities. Like, there's a, so like a charity has a CEO. It's like ding, ding, ding. Yeah, yeah. Bells are going off. In and my it's mind. like nonprofit. Yeah, it's like nonprofit. Nonprofit doesn't mean that yeah. they're not making money. It just yeah. means they get to pay the CEO ten million dollars, sure. and if they right. make eleven million dollars, the one million is not going to the company. Exactly. <laughs> hey. I want to see a picture of the CEO's car. Yeah. Before I do, <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know what I mean. Yeah. Don't you want to see that? Right. Because I don't, I, you know, I won't do that. Like th- those things that pop up on Twitter, you know, or um, even like a hurricane uh, hotline or something like a, a Sandy. The ALS thing. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Like you thing, can whatever. donate here by texting just to Sandy, and we'll make sure that. Where's I'm that like, going? No way, no way. Hurricane Sandy. I was like, nope, not doing that. I'm gonna. Uh, deliver. I looked up and uh, there's a place I could deliver uh, canned goods and clothes. So yeah. I put together like uh, boots, a jacket, a little, care I, package. I, a little care package, and I rode my bike down and dropped it off at this place because I just yeah. I don't I don't trust that. No, at all. Bill Burr does that thing with the pink ribbon. Remember yeah, you yeah. talked about the pink ribbon the people. Shit, That's yeah. a company. The fuck. Lance Armstrong Livestrong bracelets. Yeah. Livestrong bracelets. Exactly. Merchandise. People give to these places because it's out of convenience. Because these people set up like a text message. You know, if you're well, a non super special nonprofit, you can set up this little text message system where it just goes right into your account, and so you can be like, "Text us this right away because there's a disaster." Yeah. And they immediately rush to set up an account. Oh, there's a disaster. Where? Where is it? In Rwanda? Let's set it up now. Oh, the Rwanda is and then right. We and can. It, te- and, and typically, the people on. who are doing that is just so they can have a conversation with their friends to brag about how they donate to Rwanda. Yeah. So this is what people are doing. Yeah. Yeah. They, they don't. They, exactly. There's a, they they get it off their conscience too. They like, oh, this came. Oh, this. Stri- oh, let me get. Uh, I feel good. Feel good about myself. Well, you shouldn't feel good about yourself because what you just did was pay for this guy to play golf for a whole weekend. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this is ridiculous. And there's no accountability for it whatsoever. Where's the transparency, man? To the nonprofit, so they probably they don't have to. You know, unless you're a publicly traded company, you don't have to show shit. And even then, they're they're using uh, camouflage and mm-hmm. smoke and mirrors to show you their shit. These companies are nonprofit, right? So I'm guessing they don't they don't have to show anything to us, right? I don't know. Do, do, wh- I don't think they have to do anything. I don't think so either. Th- so what? the hell it's basically like hey you you donated to it that's your fault kind of thing and exactly so yeah. this there's no but it's, it's that's the whole guise of the title of nonprofit is that everyone thinks they associate that with like or like the same thing with like organic or like these yeah. buzzwords that make you think that you're doing something that's right. good it's you're exactly right nonprofit doesn't mean anything it means that they're pay, they can pay their employees however much they want to. You're right, and it's just like you said, it's another one of these buzzwords, and that everyone's just spreading the meme and buying into <laughs> it. And, and you know, and these people are these people need to be looked at closely. They need to be looked at closely. If they're not paying taxes, they're what the fuck. So that's actually let's continue on this because that's kind of going. And we're about to wrap up, but that's kind of going into like my last kind of large scale question about kind of corruption in politics and economy and what your current thought is about like the current economical disparity between have have nots in America right now. Oh man, this is the million dollar question. This could you go on for days. I don't even know where to begin. I to you personally first. What do you feel? 
affects you the most, not global economy, but at least the national economy? And are you feeling pinched in terms of... Uh, yeah, well, my industry, there's an interesting thing happening in the commercial world. You know, I worked a lot. I've, I've paid my bills doing voiceovers and commercials since 2006, let's say. So this is like nine years or eight years or ten years, whatever, where I haven't had to do anything else. And I've had enough work um, to survive. I've even made really good money on, in a few years, you know, like $100,000 area doing voiceovers and commercials. Well, all this has changed. All this has changed. The industry's completely changed the advertising because people aren't watching ads like they used to on network TV. So the budgets are... What, what's happening is there's been such a split of where our eyeballs are going now, and the companies can't figure out where the eyeballs are. They're throw, They're only throwing. They're too afraid to spend any money now. They used to spend a shit ton of money. NBC, CBS. Yes, yeah. they used to spend a shit ton of money to do to because you knew where the eyeballs were. The shit ton of money went into network commercials, cable commercials, right, and radio. Now people aren't watching this stuff anymore. They don't know. So they don't know where the eyeballs are spread out. Well. They, they spend bankroll here, on a network. Here's a pinch of salt over here. Here's a pinch of salt That's over right. here. That's yeah. right. So they're spreading it around like that. And because because of that, their budgets are being strained. So you used to have a commercial budget of, let's say, millions to, to make a commercial. Now these are this isn't happening anymore um, because they can't trust that people are going to see that spot right. to justify the expense. So the budgets are shrinking. You make a web video, like that budget's got to be small. These companies, advertisers are not spending that kind of money. And they're not hiring union actors anymore. I'm generalizing, and I'm a union actor. It's too expensive. And I totally get it. Totally get it. I had a conversation recently with a woman who owns a production company out here at a party. They do commercial work, and she gave me the straight. She says, we don't, we don't, we, we don't hire a union. She, you, you know what my budgets are that I get from these advertisers? I can't afford that. If I hire a union act, if I hire two union actors, it eats them up the entire budget. Right. This can't be done. And her and I talked about doing like voiceover stuff on the side, you know, and I would have to change my name. To do the work because I'm a union guy and I can't I wouldn't yeah. be able to use my name if I want to do the work I'd have to go by a different name or whatever and try and work out the check I don't even know how we would do that but I, I consider this because I have to survive this is sort of my industry and I've, I've sort of mastered this craft over the last nine years and I can't even pay my bills this way anymore this is this has happened the last three years my income is just down to like last year twenty thousand this year five thousand I've probably made not even yeah I mean it completely shrank. Up down to like, you know, in 2010, nine, you know, I was making like, you know, 80,000, 95,000, nothing. The work is gone. Do you think the pendulum will swing back though? Now that people are doing the Netflix route, doing Hulu, there is going to be more of a concentrated online presence with networks because there is a dissemination between how people are watching things now but i think that the way that the networks they're trying to they're starting to figure out a little bit with subscription-based models mm -hmm. like hulu and amazon mm -hmm. and i think there will be focus on those in terms of commercials and like commercials are never going to go away and i think once those sites get more popular with more popular shows sure. they will turn into their own network like it's not as huge as the cbs or an abc or yeah. an nbc but i would love to think that i could still make my living doing web commercials but the fact is that sag negotiated a flat fee for you know on-camera web commercials and it's about fifteen hundred dollars a spot so so let's say what's the most popular show on online or on netflix so that's got to be renegotiated then or hulu or whatever so but it would have to be renegotiated too i mean that is so small of an amount compared to what we were making they're never going to come close to that through a negotiation they'll never come close to what we were getting paid right. before so now you have to do 
to survive, you know, even if they negotiate and it's two thousand dollars a spot, you got to book, you know, how many <laughs> of these spots a year? Yeah, yeah. you got to you got to book twenty of these spots a year, which is so difficult to book to, stuff to make. 40 grand. To make 40 grand, to make just enough to pay your bills this way. I don't know how this is going to play out. One of the things I'm thinking about is doing non-union work under an alternate name or getting rid of my union card, which you can do that too. You can mm-hmm. you can opt out of the union. These are things that I have to consider to adjust to the changing landscape, which is advertising in the media and what is it, you know? That pays for everything. Yeah, it's it's the relationship between the corporations and the media that pays all the bills and entertainment, and that's that's never going to change. One of the things that's happening is unless uh, you mm-hmm. unless you can incorporate a subscription based model for most of entertainment, but that would take out the commercials. That's what you pay the subscription for to yeah. get get rid of them, right? Yeah, yeah. Then that's that's what they you know the subscription subscription model is great. One of the things that's interesting is some people because they have a well people that have control of eyeballs so like viners let's say that have five million followers advertisers have approached them in instagram and then be like here's our product here's a check um weird right very interesting i missed i kind of missed the boat on that i wish (laughs) i don't know if i would do i don't know if i can start now and create a follow to do that a lot of work though tons of work Um, a lot of free work too Tons of it. I mean, to get to that level where the advertiser is going to approach you, you got to be like very, a hot chick. Very hard. Yeah, you got to be a hot chick to get. How do you get three million Vine followers? How do you get yeah. millions of Instagram followers? This is another way. Not happening for me, but it's just another way that this whole system is breaking down with the advertising. And again, it affects my business. I have to make the adjustment. Do something else. It's, you know, got to do something. I wish. Could make my money doing what I was doing in New York. Life was good then, uh, but uh, new environment and yeah. know, everything, everything's going to change for me here. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate you coming uh, coming over here and doing the talk, dude. This is great. I was really looking forward to this. I'm so glad you yeah, asked me. I hope it ex- you know met your expectations. It did. It's, it was better than I thought. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Well, very structured, and I loved your questions, the background and stuff, and uh, thanks, uh, yeah, and your specific questions about uh, what money means to me and my lessons that I learned. This is really cool. It was way better than I thought it was going to be. I just thought we were going to ramble on about how much we hate corporations <laughs> for <laughs> well, an hour. We did some of that. <laughs> a little bit of that. You weave that in there. Yeah. Yeah, this was great. I love the structure. Yeah, this is awesome. It's awesome. And you know, you, you meet, you, you learn a lot about your guests with questions like this. Money is so, man, it's like... It's it, a very personal thing. It so is, right? And uh, But it affects everyone. It totally affects we're everyone. So, we're so shy to talk about it. I'm, I'm trying to get it out in the open. Yeah. No, I'm glad. I'm glad. This is this is necessary, and I'm happy to share. For in you know, if anyone has any questions about bill yeah, collectors, do you, do you have uh, do you have yeah. anything you want to do your Twitter or anything? Or? Yeah, you can hit me up on Funny Jones on Twitter, Facebook. I'm comedian. Facebook.com/slash comedian Jonesy J O N E S Y. You can send me a, a private message if you want. If you have any questions about uh, <laughs> specifically bill collectors, <laughs> and if you have a bill and you don't know yeah, what to maybe do, maybe that's going to be your side gig. Yeah, maybe bill, that's a side bill collecting consultant. Maybe I'm just like the guy who tells you that you don't have to pay this and I handle everything for you. No, you don't have to pay this. No, yeah. this is how you handle you it. Give pay, me, you give pay me the phone. Oh, the guy's calling you right now? Give me the phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I just, uh, yeah, don't call here again. FDCPA says you have to verbal, <laughs> that's a verbal request, cease communication, it's a verbal RCC, you can't call for two weeks. Okay, write that down. Bye. <laughs> and like you just shut them down for these people. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's a service. I yeah, offer. Right. <laughs> Never thought of that. Well, thanks, dude. Appreciate it. Thank you, Ben. There you have it, another episode of the Talking Cash Podcast. I want to thank my guest, Chris Jones, a.k.a. Jonesy, for coming on and talking about the voiceover world and blowing the lid off of the debt collection agency 
that he worked for. Really a fruitful conversation. Uh, happy to have him on. I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. I release these episodes every Tuesday, so please keep tuning in and subscribe to uh, the page on iTunes or on SoundCloud. And please, if you have any comments, uh, leave a message for me on one of those, and I'll be sure to get to it. I really appreciate it once again, and thank you for tuning in. And remember that money is meant to be spent.